You're listening to episode 11 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with guest Tracy Malone, and we start talking about, are you married to a narcissist? Let's find out. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoie. All right. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Tracy Malone. Tracy is the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com, a global resource to victims from more than 145 countries. In addition, she is the host of two local support groups in Colorado where she lives. She created a support Facebook group with more than 6,000 members. She is a popular YouTuber on the subject of narcissists, and her channel has now reached more than 850,000 survivors. Her work can also be found on her podcast. Let's welcome Tracy Malone. Tracy Malone, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I am so happy that you're here with us. I think everybody's going to love what you have to say about narcissists. Um, for those who are not familiar with you and don't know you a little bit, give us a, a brief background and tell us how you kind of got to this point. Um, well, I am the founder of a website called Narcissist Abuse Support, which we also have a Facebook group. And um, I do private coaching for people going through narcissistic relationships. And um, I started learning about narcissists about three years ago. And um I had been in a relationship with one, didn't know what they were. So when I found out, um, my life pretty much changed because I realized not only was that boyfriend a narcissist, but that explained my horrific divorce and um, the behaviors that I witnessed and didn't understand. And um, further down the road to my family of origin and learned that I've been surrounded by them my whole life. So I decided to educate. So that's really interesting. Now, you went through your own divorce, and is that was that your first experience with the narcissist? Um, you know, I, when I went through my divorce, I, I didn't know what a narcissist was. I just was actually the judge in my case here in Colorado um, proclaimed it at the end of the divorce as the worst divorce that had ever most tortured divorce that had ever come across the bench in our town in history. And wow. so, um, I still didn't know what a narcissist was. I didn't understand why I needed seven trials. Um, they were lying. And I say they, because I was divorcing a family. So um, they were just making things up and then I would have to defend myself. And I didn't understand any of it. So until I learned about, what a narcissist was, I had no idea. Um, he had been a covert narcissist that I was married to. So um, much of his abuse was very stealth and really came to a head during the divorce. That's when I really saw a completely different person than I had been married to. So um, I learned about it because of the ex-boyfriend after the divorce. That's really something when a divorce judge says that because they go through it all the time and they see a lot of divorces. Yeah. Did you yeah. both have attorneys? Um, I had, yes, I have I had two attorneys and he had four. 
and um, two were working on it from New York and we were trying here in Colorado. So they were consulting back to the Colorado lawyer, which just allowed some really nasty games and tricks to be played on me. That's just amazing. Seven trials. I, I can't fathom why there would be seven trials. It was just all these false accusations. I had stolen money. I was, um, you know, I, I forged and changed our prenup. Um, he tried all these tricks. He quit his job during the um, divorce and, you know, was so distraught, even though he was the one doing all of this. Um, and so each one of them, he was in contempt of court six times, never, ever um, publishing a single piece of papers that he was supposed to produce. So um, those were just, you know, we'd come back the next month and the judge would be like, you know, where's the papers? Where's all your financials? Oh, I don't have them, judge. Okay, come back next month. You know, and he was flying back and forth from New York. And um, it was just a big game. It was it was a game to deplete our money. And, and I was fighting over $50,000, which was our house profit. And my divorce on my side cost me $100,000. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and that was their goal. I mean, when you were dealing with somebody um, who is a narcissist, and, and I believe my, my mother-in-law is totally sociopath or psychopath, um, their goal was to destroy me and destroy me financially. Um, they had games. My, my son, we had taken out a student loan. They accused me of forgery. Um, the judge, you know, had to do all that research and go, nope, she didn't forge that. Here's, you know, your accountability, sir. Here's the email that you, you know, confirmed you were taking out this student loan. And, um, but, but they kept on trying. And even after the divorce was over and he got awarded that student loan for um, $30,000, they, they kept coming after me. Um, they accused me to my local police. Then they, you know, the police got the records from the court and said she didn't forge. And then they took it to the federal government. And, you know, it lasted about six months after the divorce. They just wouldn't go away. They were like rabid dogs. Right. I always tell people, once you think your divorce is finally done, it might just only be beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But things are good now. Things are good. And, and I don't ever have to deal with um, that or any other narcissist in my life. That's what I like to hear because I always preach to people. I say, you know, no matter what you're dealing with right now, no matter how bad it is, at some point it's going to end and you have a future you need to think about. So keep your eye on the prize. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yes. Let's get into narcissists because everybody loves to talk about narcissists. Yeah. Um, now, um, in your work uh, in this field, what would you say are some of the best pieces of advice for people to identify if they're dealing with a narcissist? Well, narcissists display very common characteristics. And, um, you know, when we, we look at the what is a narcissist, no empathy, um, you know, inability to um, feel for others, in, in the case of a divorce was they didn't care what they put me through, right? So it, it, it's understanding those sort of factors. But there's, there's all these flags, like the lying, that just don't make sense. Things that they say that you know are lies, but they're gaslighting you. Gaslighting is a technique that was the actual reason I looked up narcissists, because my friend said, oh, he's gaslighting you, look it up. And that 
you know, led me down a rabbit hole. But um, gaslighting is when they deliberately tell you something to make you feel like you're crazy because then they can control you. So for example, telling me that I forged the loan papers when I know I didn't um, was was a, a gaslighting trick, a maneuver. So when things just don't add up and you know that there's a truth to it, that's really important to you know, understand that your truth is the truth. And if they're making something up, that is, you know, really common. But when you're actually starting out with a relationship with a narcissist, um, they generally are so charming. And that's the hardest part that people don't realize. Narcissists are not generally the overt, you know, over the top. You can kind of identify them but they, they could be your next door neighbor. They could be the soccer coach. They could be, um, you know, the guy in the next cubicle. They seem so nice and so charming and they are to the world. But when they get behind closed doors, all bets are off and they treat the victim completely different. And for me, my husband was Prince Charming. He called himself Prince Charming and everyone thought that he was. And so I did as well. And so when we were behind closed doors and the public persona of everything being wonderful was suddenly different. Um, and, and he would explain it away that it was, you know, I can't be on all the time. I, I can't be happy. I'm happy all day outside. I have to be, this is how I am at home. And, and so I accepted that. But the reality was that this was all fake. When he was out there in the real world, that was fake. And, and the real person was sitting, you know, in his chair with the remote control in his hand. That, that was the real person. And I didn't see the difference. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I always have this question and I ask it of everybody. So I'm going to ask it of you too. Narcissists, they are that in public, that charmer, like you said, that Prince Charming, um, the schmoozer, I like to call them. Now, in your experience, or maybe in your personal experience with your ex, was he, did he admit, it sounded like he admitted to you that it was all an act. Because I, I often wonder if they are purposefully being Prince Charming, and then when they get home or behind closed doors, as you were talking about, do they purposefully change their hat, you know, and, and, and act differently? Is it a conscious decision or is it a little bit of like subconscious work going on there? Um, well, it, it, I think it is very conscious. Um, all the evidence and the books that are out there do prove that they are very aware of this. We actually call them masks in the narcissistic world. So the mask of being the perfect um, next door neighbor, um, that's just an act that, that the act of being uh, the, the, the coach um, because behind closed doors, they might be bitching about the kids or complaining and that sort of thing. So it is a conscious choice to behave a certain way in public so that people, they, they do this because they want the accolades and the affirmations. Oh, you are such a good guy. Oh, thank you for shoveling my walkway. Oh, you are the nicest guy in the world. That's what they're doing. It. That's called supply. And they are just trying to suck it in. So whatever they have to do to, to play Mr. or Mrs. Nice Guy is the acts and the masks that they wear. And when we're talking about interpersonal relationships, do, would, 
Is it your opinion that, let's say, for example, in your personal situation, at the very beginning, the prototypical narcissist would be that Prince Charming and, you know, make himself out to you to get you um, as, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, right? Mm -hmm. So is that also a conscious decision in order to kind of rope you in to the relationship? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, what's really important to understand about a narcissist is almost this hunting process when they are almost interviewing somebody to see if they will be, we call it supply, a, a good supply. What do they have that, what do you have that they need? And, um, some people have money. Some people, um, you know, have something that they want financially. Other people create a really good cover to have, you know, she'll be a good wife and I'll be able to have the picture of her and the kids on the back of my desk at work. And people will think I'm normal because I have this perfect family with the picture of the kids on the beach in a white shirt, you know? Um, and right. so that's what they're after. They're after whatever it is that you have. And they'll, they'll basically, they want to make sure that um, when they're interviewing you, if you would, that you don't know about narcissists, that you are somebody without boundaries, somebody that is a people pleaser, that is kind and loving and will believe their lies, someone that will do for them because you love them. If you believe in the true fairy tale, you are the perfect victim because then you are going to go out of your way to service them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. Um, and then how long after you got into the relationship did the narcissist come out? You know, did you did you see the real him, so to speak? I, I did not even really you know, I didn't see it until after the divorce and after I learned about narcissists. But now that I retrospectively go back to events and different things, I just missed it all. I can see them now. I can see the patterns. Um, and I'll, I'll use the example of my son. Um, he, my this second husband was his stepfather for 10 of his 18 years. And in the beginning, there's stages. So it's love bombing, devalue, and discard. Those are the stages of a narcissistic abuse. And so in the beginning, he adored my son. It was so wonderful for me to have him, you know, go to his baseball games and sit there and cheer him on and teach him how to ride a lawnmower and, you know, just be like the perfect dad. So he was not only love bombing me with, oh my God, this man is taking care of and loves my son so much, but he was also love bombing my son. So once we fell going, okay, this is perfect. He gave my son uh, a $2,000 Halloween party at age eight, um, you know, for like 10 kids. This was just over the top crazy. And it was, it was buying our love, but that was part of the love bombing stage. And then once he had us hooked, he could back off and go into the devalue. He didn't have to bump up his game that high. He didn't have to go over the top. In fact, he would go more down the alley of, I don't want to go grab a basketball and play with you, you know, and insult him and say things. My son was a national honor society, you know, high in his class, brilliant child. And he would just pick on him and, and yell at him and, you know, just 
he just became this abusive person and and that was in the devalue and that's where it started to to kind of go and and that was how I can look back now but whenever we were in front of people even though he'd been mean to him and bitched at him about not doing homework or whatever he was complaining about as soon as someone came over he put his arm around my son and they he'd pretend they were best buddies and and I don't think they weren't, but it wasn't like that when no one else was there. Yeah. I hear that so often, that, that same similar story where they just, yeah. they can change their, their whole persona at like the flick of a switch. At, at the flick. And, and, you know, and again, when you're with someone and you love them and you believe in them, um, you know, you're just like, all right, well, you had a rough day. You make excuses or you accept their excuses. Um, because you love them. And so you don't really think, oh my gosh, she's abusing me, but he's in a bad mood. And so you write it off and you, you, you get the feeling that something's not right. But whenever you bring it up, they justify it with answers and things that make sense at the time and you believe them and you love them. And if you aren't quite being hooked back, if you've complained and go, no, that's not right. Then the love bombing starts again. And for us, it was like, okay, now I'm going to, you know, have another Halloween party for $2,000. It was, it was a, if, if they got caught and, and we weren't buying it, it would be a whisk you off your feet, take you on a fantastic vacation and win you back and convince you that everything was back to normal. Right. It's almost, I don't know if you would agree with this analogy, but maybe kind of like, it's like buying, buying your affection, you know, oh, yeah. it's a material Absolutely. affection is like a material object. Oh yeah. Because it, it, it wasn't real. And, um, and it was really strange that, um, when my husband asked me for the divorce completely out of the blue, um, one of the things he said was, I can't keep acting anymore. And I never understood that until now, until I learned about narcissists and went, oh, that's what he was talking about. The whole thing was fake. <laughs> right. How much energy does that take there, right? It, exactly. I'm tired just hearing about it. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's tiring. Well, and just to, um, you know, we've all in the past, you know, whether it's a white lie or a bigger lie or, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, you know, but it takes so much energy to, to kind of, live a lie or, or create a story. And, you know, because it's rarely just one, one time and you're done or one statement, you have to kind of see it to completion. It's just so draining. (laughs) It's, it's a crazy thing. And and the, the ex-boyfriend that was um, the reason I learned all about this, he was actually living three different lives at the time. I had dated him for two and a half years and um I had found out that he had been cheating with someone for six months and then found out that um, I call her door number three, but she was really door number two because he'd been dating her for two years. Oh my God. So imagine the lies. I, we found out I'm now best friends with door number three. And um, we found out, we looked at our schedules. Like I was like, when were you together? You were together for a week. Where the heck was I? Right. I was watching his son. What? Yep. He would have me, he would tell me he was going on a business trip. And that last year I I actually went back and looked at my calendar and um, I had watched his kid for 40 days. His kid was 16 at the time and I had watched him for 40 days. And so those were the days when he was 
with this other woman, he would take her to a hotel, door number three, and I would be at home. I thought he was in Chicago. He would actually send me pictures that were just stock art pictures of, look how pretty the skyline is here tonight. But he was down the street in a hotel. But Tracy, even just, let me stop you there. Even just that, sending you pictures, fake pictures, stuff, that's, that, like, who has time and the energy to do that? But, but to do it three different ways. I mean, he was, you know, manipulating all three of us at the same time. Lies for me. And then, then the other one thinks this, and, um, it, it was, it was pretty amazing to, to become friends with this, this extra third girl here because, um, we saw the difference of how his personality actually morphed based on what our needs were. So, um, for example, um, this door number three girl was a, um, very spiritual person and um, she loves songs and music and poetry. So he would send her poems every single day. And he would make a video of himself reading a poem and send her playlists every day. And I said to her, I'm like, he never sent me a song ever. You know, it was like, it, she said, oh, he loves country music. Whoever I date has to love country music. And I said, if I had country music on, he would come in and go, Oh my God, I can't stand that. And then we turn it off. Oh my God. It was, it was like, he had to keep these different roles in line. How do you keep track of all that? That's a lot of work. Not a lot of work, a lot of energy and right. How do you keep it straight? And that's, that's a full-time job in and of itself. Right. And that's all about the lies. That's, that's about the, the extent of the crazy lies. I mean, forget the husband lying about me forging papers in court this man was actually living three separate lives and lying to this one. And, oh, I'm so tired. But really, he'd been out with the other one till two in the morning and then came over. You know, it's just weird. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's something a movie. It's like a movie could be made out of that. Everybody says Lifetime movie. Call me up. <laughs> I'm thinking HBO, but OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's right. true. Lifetime would probably have to have some stabbing involved. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wow, that that's just that's just something. But I think the whole point of that story is that these are common common traits that narcissists portray, and and it just shows you, you know, the the level of of how they act and operate on a on a daily basis. Sometimes it's just amazing to me. Yeah. Now, let's talk about. Can you give people some red flags or things to look for that? Now, especially looking back on your life and doing the work that you do now, what would be some red flags to kind of signal to somebody that they're in a unhealthy relationship and possibly maybe with a narcissist? Um, well, first of all, rushing intimacy um, and, and, and this love bombing that happens in the beginning. The love bombing is, is where they go way over the top. They have that, that special Halloween party there. They have to constantly be with you and they're rushing a lot of people that are victims of narcissistic abuse. I was married within six months of meeting my husband number two, six and months, six months. And, um, and, and, so it's, it's about, we, they don't want to give you time to think about it or to see the real them. So therefore they're going to rush things. So, um, you know, 
there's going to be a lot of lying. There's going to be things that don't add up. They're going to tell you one thing and you're going to be like, you said you were staying home tonight, but you just told me you saw a movie, you know, like where did that? And then there'll be, of course, no, I, I meant that was another night, but that lie you caught them on. And so if they rushed through intimacy and they rushed through everything, that's the reason that they can't get caught in as many lies. If they hook you before you can have time to figure this out. Um, you'll also find that they have a lot of crazy people in their past. And this one I, I find very hard because I have had a lot of crazy people in my past now. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, that doesn't, that's not fair, but their ex is always crazy. Their ex is always a psycho, uh, an alcoholic. And, you know, granted there are people that have psycho alcoholic exes, but everybody that's been in their life is a severed relationship, their parents, their friends, their family. So all of these pieces just start to not add up. So that's the crazy people in their past. Right. It's not just one. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's, it's like everybody, you, you're not friends with anybody from your past. And that usually means friends. They don't generally keep friends a long time because they either used up what they came for them for supplies. So maybe they're using them to get into, um, you know, a, a, a group of, of people that might help their career, but then they sort of get what they need from them and they drop them. So they have no friends. So it sort of looks like a dead end to all of their friends. Um, and they, they mirror in the beginning um, what you like. So again, that, that door number three loved country music. He mirrored that and became Mr. Country Music. Um, and so they, they it, it just doesn't make sense. How could you have the exact same interests as me? Nothing adds up. So yeah. they're mirroring whatever you're saying. That's something, you know... People are different. So if someone is exactly like you and they're calling you a soulmate in three months, in, in a month and a half, that's, that's not good because, you know, soulmates aren't born like that. They, they, they will have differences. Soulmates, one will like mysteries and one will like sports, you know? Right. And, and so if it's all the same, that's a, that's a red flag. Um, what, what doesn't make sense to me is why, you know, I, and I always say this to people, especially, you know, in divorce situations and they, and I hear often, you know, the, well, I just didn't want to be married or, you know, I got married too soon. And I say, well, nobody had a gun to your head to propose and and go through with it. Why, especially from a narcissist point of view, why do you think, because it seems to me that they they want to be juggling, right. And different relationships, different people. And, you know, outside of a marriage, if that's your thing, well then fine. That's not against the law, you know, but why get married? Why do they even want to go through with it if they want this alternate lifestyle? Um, they, they, again, it's, it's what that person, the, the value of that supply is. If that supply person, for me, I wanted the perfect, you know, family. I wanted the, the wedding. I wanted all of that. So he gave it to me. Um, and, and that just means that he gave it to me against his will. I mean, he was the one who proposed. He was the one who pushed it. He was the one that did all this. But in the end, the story is a much better story that, oh, I, you know, he's not going to say, oh, I wanted to marry her and I pushed her into it to hook her. Um, but 
he, he's going to use it as a cover. He's taking no accountability. If, if somebody rushed into a relationship and now is going, well, I got you married too young. I made a mistake, all of this. Well, that could very well be true. But a narcissist has actually manufactured that fast relationship and then they're not going to take accountability for the fact that they they were a part of putting that you know marriage together yeah yeah it's it's really just just crazy stuff no wonder uh it's such a hot topic all the time because it, i mean there's so much to talk about uh, well there is actually a number out there 158 million victims of narcissistic abuse in the united states wow yeah. Is, is that is that like just total or is that a annual figure? Um I don't know. It's it's on the World Narcissist Abuse Awareness uh website. Um there's a day June 1st is World Narcissist Abuse Awareness Day and that's the number that they've had up there um 158 million. That's about half of the United States population. And if you actually look at that one boyfriend narcissist um, there were three of us right in that little two year period, right? He had his ex-wife, he screwed up his kids. There's, you know, six, eight people we've added to the list of how many one narcissist affects, um, yeah. all of the other people that have ever been in his life, whether they work with them or, you know, he's been in a relationship with them. So that one narcissist could have a, a handful or a hundred people that he's, um, affected. And so that's why the number is so staggeringly high. And I think the awareness has grown a lot in the last two years because the word narcissist is thrown out there a lot more. And I think there's other YouTubers like myself and, and, you know, much bigger YouTubers than myself and authors that are, are really bringing personality disorders to the forefront of, um, where, you know, back in the 70s, nobody talked about that. Nobody even talked about abuse, much less emotional abuse. Right. So it, it's, yes. it's becoming more in the forefront. And so we're seeing so much talk about it, certainly on the television stations now. And, um, you know, people are latching on to it because the patterns of abuse and the red flags and the behaviors are what's, what's stirring them to come to the narcissist pool. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely out there in the media and like you said, out in the forefront so much more now. Um, but I'm glad that I'm talking to people like yourself because I do think that the word and the term narcissist kind of can be overused and used incorrectly at times. Um, and so it's important for people to really understand, you know, what we're talking about here when we say narcissist and especially uh, in the context of a divorce, you know, what you're, what you're dealing with. So this is all great information. Yeah. And you're, um, you're dealing with somebody in a divorce that, um, has no empathy. We know that, but this is where the parental alienation comes in. This is where in a divorce, you will see that the tides turn to, you know, your wife has raised the kids and whether, and I'm just using this male, female example, but you know, your wife has raised the kids, but in court, you're telling her the judge that she's a terrible mother. And that's, that's a gaslighting. He's actually attacking the one thing that she knows and that he knows she's a great mom, but because she wants the kids, he's going to fight back and he's going to smear her name. He's going to tell lies about her and, you know, ultimately try to take the children away, even if he doesn't want them just right. 
piss her off just to get mad and have her fight like I had to fight for all these fake lies. Yeah, exactly. And, and parental alienation, um, for everybody listening, I'm going to be doing a show specifically on that topic too, because that is its own, you know, thing. And we got to devote time just to talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's yeah. scary. Yeah. Yeah. So Tracy, since we just kind of broached divorce and this is a, a divorce podcast, <laughs> let's, let's talk about some tips, uh, on how do people, either, you know, disarm uh, a narcissist in, during the divorce process or what techniques or things can people do uh, to kind of to handle a narcissist in the context of a contested divorce? The first thing is to be able to not react to whatever they're um, throwing at you. So, you know, they're throwing out these lies. They're, they're smearing your name and saying you're a bad mother. You stole money. You, you know, whatever the, the different claims are. What they're looking for is a reaction. So if you can um, understand that you can, you know, go home and kick the table, but don't let them see it. Because if they see in court that they've got you, oh, yeah, we've just hit her in the spot of, you know, saying she's a bad parent and, and coming up with this fake evidence and whatnot. Um, if they see you react, that's the supply they want. That's the, the, um, the satisfaction that they get from telling these lies. So, you know, kind of learning to, you know, look at it in a courtroom and just be like completely gray rock. Gray rock is you have no emotions about it and, and you're just not going to let it affect you because once they see that they've got you and they've now oh, we've just stuck this in and it's working, they're going to keep poking that further. So the, the way to kind of stop the abuse in the court is, is to first of all, pick your battles. What are, what do you want to fight for and what don't you want to fight for? Maybe you want to fight for the kids. Um, you know, you'll give up on the retirement, something. It's, it's a push me, pull you kind of a, a negotiation, but arguing against every single thing is only going to cost you money like it did for me. And, um, it, it's not going to help you in the long run. Yeah. I always tell people you got to choose your battles. Um, and not everything is World War Three, um, you know. And you just gotta kind of prioritize. Prioritize, and uh, but like you said, and I'm glad you said it too, because I say this all the time: is you know, it's that reaction. Narcissists love to push your buttons. They know how to do it better than anybody else, and they want that reaction out of you. And, and you can learn and train yourself not to react. It's not easy, but. It is possible and you just have to, to work at it. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's just, uh, most people are, are, you know, and when they're in going through a divorce with a narcissist, they might not even know what a narcissist is. They might not know to look at this, but they're, they're knowing that things aren't right. Like this isn't a normal divorce. Seven trials. I didn't kill my child. You know, none of that made sense. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know anybody, and I've been doing this a while. I don't know anybody who's gone through seven trials. Yep. Well, yeah. actually, um, when I, I, my ex-husband, um, his dad had divorced his mother, and and when I came along, he was with the stepmom, but their divorce was in New York City. It was a three-year-long, $2 million divorce. 
and I have talked to his mother. He, he had no relationship with her, but I have talked to her. And from the moment I told her I was getting a divorce, she knew, she said, oh my God, is, is the stepmother running the show? Because that's what she did to me. She basically ruined her and then turned the kids against her. And so um, they just ruined her for no reason at all. You know, the whole thing was just an act. So um, the, the power that they can have is something that is patterns that repeat. And um, you just have to be careful if, if they have had this before, if they've had this, you know, crazy psycho ex, you're going to be the crazy psycho ex. So, you know, believe that, that, that that's going to happen. And, and when you expect it to happen, then it's not a shock. So when it's a shock is when we go into defense mode, trying to protect ourselves. And that's not true. That's not true. Right. The reality is it is a lie. And the more attention you give it to defending yourself, the more power they're getting from, from doing that torture to you. And, and right. And it, and it goes back to preparation. And, and I preach that too. prep, you know, prepare for your divorce as much as possible. And, mentally prepare for what you're about to get into so when it happens it's not a shock and you don't just automatically enter like you said defense mode and you know you, you kind of spin out of control a little bit on your end because especially in a courtroom that's that's the last thing that you want to do right exactly because then it's just costing you money and um it's not a winning battle it's not something that you can win but right you're you're, you're never going to feel like you won no. And it's, it's really hard. I mean, people who have been married for 30 years and, um, you know, they thought they knew this person and then this other person walks into the court. Um, and, and it's, it's frightening to see that someone that you loved can say these lies knowing that that's not true. But, um, the sooner you can find out and do some research on this, there's a lot of really good books. There's one called splitting, which is about divorcing a personality disorder, narcissistic person, um, really helpful to understand the tricks and, and things that they might pull so that you are a little bit more prepared. That's great. I, I appreciate that recommendation. Uh, and people can, you know, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes too. Um, and I'll try to find a link, uh, I'm sure Amazon probably has it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so people can find that book, but that's a great uh, reference point. And so thank you so much. Tracy, you have been awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we I think we covered some solid content here today. What do you think? I think you got a little bit out of me. <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> Are you tired? Not at all, no. Oh, well, then we'll keep going. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to have you on again because there's so much stuff to talk about. Um, but again, for this episode, thank you so much. I hope everybody learned a little bit about narcissists that maybe they didn't know before. And Tracy, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, well, my website is called NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. And from there, you can actually join my Facebook group, which um, is a great way to get support and just find other people that are going through what you're going through. I would say when I first learned about it, being part of a group saved my life. And you, um, you know, getting that I'm not alone feeling is really helpful. So from there, you can find me everywhere from Twitter to um, my podcasts are all over, you know, iTunes and my YouTube channel is also linked off of there. I've got about 300 videos on the topic. Yeah. You're a big video person. I love that. I am. 
I'll try that one day. <laughs> Every day. Oh, don't be shy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm working on it one thing at a time. I just launched the podcast here. <laughs> I know. And I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks, Tracy. It means a lot. Um, and I'll have all the information about your website and everything on the show notes too. So everybody just go um, there to find that information. Tracy, thanks again. Uh, really loved having you and I'll be talking to you real soon. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Tracy, for yet another excellent episode of the Divorce Resource Guide podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed that. If you think you're dealing with narcissist, then listening to these kinds of episodes can really provide some clarity because, again, the term can be overused a little bit, but by and large, you want to know what you're dealing with, and if so, some ways to deal with them, okay? So, everybody, uh, stay tuned uh, for upcoming episodes. They are going to be rolling out. Another one bites the dust for now. Uh, If you are interested in private one-on-one divorce coaching with me, then I highly encourage you to check out my services through Divorce You. You can find that on my website. Just scroll down on the homepage. And uh, again, if you are a first-time listener to the podcast, please subscribe so you get all the future episodes as they come out. Right now, they're coming out every other Tuesday. So stay tuned for all future episodes. We've got some really good guests coming up and some good content I'm getting ready to roll out. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. As always, I'm Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you soon.